You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider of the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm from the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and of the driven. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, I trust you are well and well seated on your electric motorbike. (laughs) Giles Parkinson, thank you. I am well. It was actually my plan. If I didn't have to read things off the screen, I was actually just going to be on the bike and just do the whole episode from a bike, but maybe another time. One day. Look, you keep on talking about Facebook Live, and we're not doing it now because um, I've had another day. Um, but we should do that, and maybe Facebook Live. I don't know whether it works on a Harley motorbike or not. But um, yes, experiment. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah, we could do it. Fully interactive. Yeah, of course we can. <laughs> Dear me, mate. It's been a um. It's been another week of records. We've had the highest renewable energy share ever in the main grid. I think, what did we get up to? 61.7%. Lowest ever coal generation output or share in the grid. Lowest aggregate brown coal generators in the grid, thanks to rooftop solar in South Australia. Rooftop solar, just rooftop solar, got to 84% in one five-minute period, 83% over 30-minute period, pushed minimum demand down to record lows. Yeah, 20% down on just last year, I saw, which was amazing to think, you know, 20% down. Incredible. Well, when you think about it, I mean, look, they've added 250 megawatts to the grid in the last 12 months um, in South Australia and in places like Perth, which we'll get to very soon. So when a nice sunny day, that's kind of what's going to happen, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, we're, and, and we're, we're just just about to get going for the year, too. I mean, we're just uh, just moving into spring. The weather's looking good. Solar system performance is going up. Uh, we're watching our fleet average on solar analytics. The fleet average is already starting to climb. So we're, we're tracking it across tens of thousands of systems and seeing the same thing. So yeah, mate, it's only just begun for the year. I've got a scoop for you, but, um, I've got a scoop for you, Nigel. Um, it's been oh. spring for almost a month now. Well, yeah, it has, <laughs> but it doesn't fit. It's only felt like spring for the last few days because we've finally had some good weather. The first couple of weeks were a bit lame, but now it's, you know, now it's feeling like spring. A man for all seasons. Um, Yes, well, look. I mean, Aemo actually thinks that um, it's one. Um, it's going to get to one hundred percent rooftop solar alone sometime in the next month or two. And judging by this week, when it got to eighty-four percent, that's entirely possible. A nice mild day, lots of sun, all that extra solar PV capacity, hundred percent. I mean, just imagine. I mean, that. Well, it will obviously be a world first for a gigawatt scale grid, but it just goes to show. I mean, just imagine talking about that 10, day, 10 years ago. I mean, we even talked about sort of 10% renewables of any kind sort of completely disrupting the grid and sort of causing the lights to go out. And now we're talking about now we're talking about 100% of state demand being met by rooftop solar. 
In scoffing, same, scoffing scoffing is the word that comes to mind for me. <laughs> that was the kind of reaction that we used to get in these meetings. I remember when the 60 cent feed in tariff thing blew up and you know we had all sorts of meetings with all sorts of people and and they just <laughs> of course you will. Of course you'll be material. Of course you will. Yeah. Well, and I here mean, we are. Here yeah. we are. And this is in the state, which of course had the state. It's we're recording this on its fifth anniversary of the statewide blackout in South Australia, when yes. we had all the politicisation, when the wind Five don't blow and the sun don't shine. I know it makes me feel old. Um, you know, the wind blow, don't blow and the sun don't shine, and it's going to be the end of renewables. But the kind of everyone just had a bit of a think about things. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, the conservatives are still ranting and raving and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Chris Yeoman's stories are still up there on the ABC, sort of sprouting complete and utter nonsense. And the conservatives are still rattling on about, you know, be the death of us and we all go back and live in caves and stuff like that. But the state Liberal government, I should point out this is the Liberal government of South Australia, celebrated the fifth anniversary today, pointing out that over the last three years, the number of outages in South Australia due to a shortage of supply is zero. Zero days. Zero. Zero. And zero. And that is the only state in the, in the main grid that can boast of zero. Um, the other, um, at least one thing is Tasmania with about 100, and Victoria's got a couple of hundred, and New South Wales has got nearly 1,000, and Queensland's got more than 2,000. Notice how the coal-dependent states have got the more blackouts because of lack of supply. Um, but South Australia running along at a world-leading 62% wind and solar, just about to get 100% solar in a you know time interval sometime soon, killing it. And they've cut down emissions and they've boosted reliability and they've lowered costs. It's a wonderful thing. Clever little sausages. Who knew? Are they? Who knew? Who knew? Are they? <laughs> but look, yeah. But look, it's, it's kind of interesting because... Um, so a few things are happening in preparation for this day when we get to 100% renewables, uh, 100% rooftop solar, should I say. Uh, AEMO just this week announced uh, that it's going to have an early warning system. Like, you know, we used to have the lack, or we still do have a lack of reserve, LOR 1s, 2s and 3s, um, depending on the severity of the situation and whether people are going to have sort of the, the lights sort of cut out from various parts of the grid. Now we're going to have... A notice which is going to say too much solar and warn of solar shutdowns if needed mm. be. So um, they haven't actually come up with a really cool acronym on this. Unfortunately, it's got something to do something like sort of um, contingency or oh, I can't yeah, it was what it is Kemnant or something. Oh, it's look, it, it's, <laughs> it's dull. It's dull. Wasn't roll, it wasn't rolling off the tongue, was it? <laughs> I mean, you would think they would have come up in that acronym like Sun S U N or something like that. You know, just that's right. you know, come just, on, just, just just keep with it, guys. But anyway, they're doing that, so that's really interesting. And, um, it is, and they're, they're going to roll. They're going to. Uh, I read your story today. I should read your website more often. It's got full, of, full of fascinating stories. Oh, some ooh, people, some like, people really like it, Nigel. Oh, it was really good, actually. I learned a lot. And but, but uh, WA, it seems like AEMO's gone. Well, oh, okay. Uh, we've got to do what we did in South Australia with um, the ability to throttle back solar systems in the event of these uh, scenarios, and we're going to do it stat. Make it happen, WA. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And, 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 you know, funnily enough, although it hasn't actually been triggered uh, a whole heap of times, we, uh, the, the warnings are flowing. We got a warning on Friday because, uh, as you know, solar analytics are a relevant agent. 
And Ooh, um, what was this warning? Well, it was, it was a warning that an event may occur. And so it, they were actually predicting exactly what happened. And that Ooh. was the minimum demand could be an issue. And sure enough, it was. And solar generation was big. So there was a warning that curtailment may be required. Um, mm. It didn't, uh, we weren't asked to trigger any of our sites. Uh, I don't know about the other relevant agents, but um, there was a warning that came through on Friday. Agent Nigel, got a phone call, got a warning. Well, luckily it's not me. Uh, it's <laughs> someone else standing by the big red button. Um, but there is... There I'll is get back big, to you, says Nigel. There is, yeah. Uh, um, there, is, there is a big red button. But it, it's fascinating. And, and, you know, sure enough, lo and behold, you know, when, when we were talking about what was going on in South Australia and... There, yeah, upsides and downsides, of course, but um, we predicted very early, uh, based on some of the things that we were hearing around the marketplace, that WA and the other states would follow fairly quickly afterwards with similar schemes. And lo and behold, AEMO are now pushing WA very, very hard, and it wouldn't surprise me if they move exceedingly quickly uh, to get this in place. So um, I guess there'll be a, a queue of people in uh, dark sunglasses and uh, black hats lining up to handle uh, WA next. Look, I think that's right. You know, look, it's interesting because um, we talked last year about these new inverter standards which have been introduced in South Australia. So they, you figure that if that's happened, well, it would have happened. So there's probably about 250 megawatts of rooftop capacity that they can play with now. So that's a reasonably significant um, mechanism at their disposal. Yep. And I think they've actually been imposing those inverter standards in, in Western Australia. I may be wrong about that. Um, if they didn't, then they probably should have or wish they had at least. Um, the thing with Western Australia is that it's an isolated grid. So yes. South Australia is at least has one or sort of, well, one or two connections to Victoria. And so AEMO thinks it will probably only normally use the shutdown if there's a risk of the grid being isolated, because if it's by itself and you've got a whole bunch of rooftop solar, then that kind of doesn't work. Um, or it works very with great difficulty. If you had a whole heap of storage, you might be able to do it, but you don't, so not enough. So WA, they have to be even more proactive because solar rooftop solar capacity is getting up to about 50 60% at times. And, that seems to be the sort of the driver of their whole transition in the grid. They've actually got fantastic large-scale solar and wind resources, but they're not really being developed very quickly at the moment because AEMO is mostly focused on what to do about the rooftop solar, which is by far the biggest generator in that grid. And because, as we said, it's a standalone grid, it's kind of got to do all the resources of itself. So it mm. needs a couple of batteries quick smart. I think Synergy and Alinta are thinking of putting one in. Mm. And um, it leads a lot of smarts. And I think they're going to come up with some interesting things on demand response anyway. There you go. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, for the solar installers out there, get ready, hey? Because if... if uh, if things move as quickly as they did uh, in South Australia, and we have the benefit of hindsight, of course, in in you know what worked and what didn't work in South Australia, and and uh, so there's there's hindsight to lean on. So it's entirely probable that they'll move very very fast. So something to get ready for if you're a solar installer in WA. Absolutely. Mate, what else has been happening? Well, there's the um, we've got a bit of news about the Tesla big battery. No, not the Tesla big battery. Well, a Tesla big battery, but um, the Victorian the, the Mega Pack fire. Yeah. The Mega Pack fire. Yes. Well, they finally worked out what went wrong. Um, they've been doing a lot of investigations both in Victoria and in Tesla's home base. I'm told they've actually been setting Mega Packs on fire. <laughs> I read that. I read that I in Nevada, trying to recreate the situation. Go. Um, <laughs> 
Anyone got a match? Let's see what happens here. But yes. the, no, the in all seriousness, the findings were really, really interesting, weren't they? Well, you tell me why, because you're probably more of an expert than I am in these fine details. Oh no, no, no! There's no room for experts here. But I thought what um, I thought what was interesting was when they started looking at it. What they discovered was that it was because the system was there was an, a number of things that went wrong. But um, the the root cause of the incident was a short circuit caused by a coolant leak. Uh, yes. and, and that caused, you know, a, a short, that started a fire and off it went. And because the system was offline, because they'd completed some testing, they just completed a 12 or a 13 hour test, the system was offline. So some of the normal sort of safety measures and alert systems that would normally uh, detect such a problem, um, weren't online. So it was a, it was just a, it was like a concept, a little, you know, a little domino effect of a number of small things that went wrong that caused a very, very big problem. But, you know, to their credit, uh, they went and sent fire to some more. They replicated the fault. Um, uh, and they made some firmware updates very quickly. They changed some um, operating modes and some processes and some systems. And they said, yeah, you have to do a 100% pressure test on all cooling systems. And there were some lockout rules that changed. So not not hugely complicated things to change. All just, you know, okay, let's make these standard operating procedures so this doesn't happen again. So, you know, not a, not a, you know, a terrible, terrible problem and a terrible, terrible fault under control and didn't run away too badly. But the great part is, um, you know, uh, didn't require, a, you know, uh, it, it showed that it wasn't a catastrophic technological failure. It was just a, a process failure and it can be fixed. Yeah, it turns out some coal and gas-fired stations have sort of caught in fire and have accidents in the past too, and they fix them. So it's not unusual with new technology. So look, good on them for finding that issue. Um, those fixes have now been applied to all sort of mega-pack installations um, around the world, and I guess that includes Australia. There's been a couple of smaller mega-pack ones. There's also the first big battery in New South Wales, which should be switched on sometime very soon, I would imagine. Um, that's over in Western Sydney um, within a um, Harley live wire drive from your place, Matt. Um, you should go and... <laughs> that's, that's how the world is measured now. Can I get there on the live wire? And is one there a charging station? One live wire or two live wires or three yeah. live wires? Right. Yes. Um, I like think a, I'm about I like think a about, cubit. I think, well, am I about, about six live wires away from you? I'm, I'm, I'm three Tesla Model 3s away from you, but I'm probably six live wires as well, aren't I? Yeah, something like that. that. Something like that. I've, mapped, I've mapped the route. I've, it's fully mapped. I'm ready to go as soon as I can get out of this state or out of the city. Uh, I have multiple routes mapped out, in fact. So charge stops ready at the ready and, you know, everything else. So, yeah. Look forward to seeing you, Nigel, when that happens. Yeah. Um, geez, we got easily distracted, didn't we? Yeah, but anyway, so the yes. um, so the Tesla Megapacks was uh, um, so look, that, that's that's good news, and that's going to be a fantastic addition to the grid when that comes on this summer. Uh, the biggest battery in Australia, I'm presuming it is actually commissioned in time for the summer, but it's going to increase the capacity um, of the leap from New South Wales, and it's just yet another part of the value stack of big battery storage. Um, that we see. Um, I should point out too, there's been a bit of consternation about the regulator having a good go at the Tesla big battery over its failure to properly respond 
well, there's actually a bit of dispute about whether it was properly responding, but certainly not responding in the megawatts expected of AEMO when a um, the country's biggest coal unit tripped a couple of years ago. Now, apparently this was due to some firmware upgrade that changed the setting um, of what's called the, the droop setting, which is kind of its sort of speed of response or, or extent of response um, in these things. Um, it responded to that outage, big excursion of frequency, frequency. Um, it responded to that, that was addressed, but when they kindly did an audit of what happened, they found out that the Tesla big battery had not responded at the scale imagined or expected. Mm. Um, it didn't cause any problems because if it needed more, it would have given more. But because because the frequency excursion was addressed by what was delivered, it wasn't just Tesla delivering, it was a whole bunch of other people delivering as well. Anyway, the regulators got very uptight about that um, and um, taken them to court. Mm. Um so there's a bit of consternation about that. I mean, I think there's just probably two things to say here, and this kind of affects a lot. This kind of affects rooftop installations as well. I think what the regulator is arguing is that if you're going to have an inverter-based technology and a whole grid based around inverter-based technologies, then you need to get make sure that the software is really accurate and you don't get any deviations when you've got software upgrades or firmware upgrades and things like that. You've got to be able to do what it says it is going to do otherwise yep. the whole thing is going to fall apart and okay that's fine mm-hmm. i guess a lot of people were just throwing their arms up in the end going what the hell why would you pick this battery in this situation because it's quite possibly a misunderstanding of what happened there um and given the lack res- or, or the slack response or the lack of response from coal generators in similar situations over the last five or six years no one was pinged for that so mm. um but look mm. if, if, if the regulator wanted to make an example then it's got its high pre- <laughs> you, you pick the highest profile battery of all and you go for them so that's kind of what they've done um it'll be interesting to see what actually happens and whether just making a big noise about it is sufficient to send a message out to the market if that's what their intention is or if they really want to ping them with some fines and penalties and um, who knows it's i mean it's really quite interesting isn't it because to, to end up hearing a court case over you know incredible incredible tiny minutia detail of an agreement to deliver something at a certain point in time in the event of an event that might happen and you know penalties apply etc 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 it's it's really interesting because that's right up at the large scale end of the market but it it's it it all connects down into you know the small scale part of the market as well because they're all dynamically feeding all the small scale systems are all dynamically feeding in as well and it does show you know really how complex this market is i I think i mentioned on the previous episode giles that i'm on the osgrid working group now um uh, looking at some of the revisions uh, that they're talking about around all sorts of different issues around um, uh, uh, distribution tariffs. And, um, you know, oh, it's my gosh, it's a complex world. It is a really, really complex world. And and this, this court case kind of highlights that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of broken down for me. It's actually quite interesting. It's sort of the regulator on one hand is just sort of saying, well, hang on. You responded in a fraction of a second, but not at the megawatts that we thought that you would do. And the battery guys are saying, yeah, but, you know, we responded in a fraction of a second and other people responded too. So by the end of your sort of four seconds that you're counting, the situation was addressed. And if the battery was, you know, 
needed, then it would have responded further. But anyway, it's just it's it's, yeah. it's yeah, as you say, yeah. it's just, just remarkable remarkable details. I mean, you know, this is this is a battery playing in a six second market at a fraction of a second. Um, yes, yeah. almost <laughs> as though <laughs> it's almost as though that. Um, in a way, it just sort of kind of highlights how the regular, you know, the, the rules and the regulations just haven't kept up with technology. But um, yeah, it would, yeah, and, and and the other thing that's interesting to me is, you know, as as uh, small solar companies edge their way up into this larger space, and I chatted with Andy McCarthy from RACV Solar a few episodes ago on you know, on Great Solar Business about this, and he highlighted a story where they'd identified a site where it actually made more sense to put a megawatt of batteries instead of a megawatt of solar on on a project and and by playing in the fcas market and various other markets they could deliver a better return on the investment terrific but of course what you end up in then is you end up in all sorts of contractual obligation situations to deliver these types of services which haven't been delivered very much before it's fairly mm-hmm. new territory in this way in this response time with this type of technology so uh it is it is really fascinating because we're breaking new ground yeah, and look to a, to an extent, the same thing applies in virtual power plants, which is sort of combining um, rooftop solar and um, and household batteries. It's the same sort of situations. Um, exactly, sort of juggling yeah. the capacity and the output and the needs of the household and the grid, and how that's all packaged together and controlled remotely by various providers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, yes. We got any sponsors? Should we thank our sponsors? I think we should. Sp- I think we should take a message from one of our sponsors. Planergy is an Australian-founded enterprise providing innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Planergy's innovative approach and engineering expertise gives them a unique edge to create the right base framework for all solar applications. Their range of high-quality products and services include PV mounting, ground mounting products and solutions for residential, commercial and utility-scale projects. Visit clenergy.com.au and find the right framework for your solar application. And we'd like to thank all our sponsors, of course, with the Solar Analytics, SunWiz and Clinergy for their ongoing and gracious support for this wonderful podcast, Nigel. <laughs> wonderful. Having talked to Duck, you better keep, having talked to Duck, you better keep it going, mate. You better, you know, keep the momentum going. What's on what's, well, what's on your foot? Well, I think uh, actually the biggest news story, I don't know why you didn't put it at the top, but uh, turns out Angus Taylor uh, effectively has found yes. The solar industry does have integrity. After uh, calling for a review on the integrity of the solar industry, uh, after a year, the report was finally released. And um, I actually managed to have a, a really interesting and, and quite long chat with the with two um, very generous gentlemen from the Clean Energy Regulator to talk about this very issue and um, cornered them into trying to admit that Angus Taylor's review actually found that the solar industry does in fact have integrity. There, there were certainly um, some issues and there are some uh, big changes coming for the industry and uh, uh, I really urge uh, everyone, if you haven't been on one of the webinars that's been out there or if you haven't read um, some of the stories that uh, uh, I know you've published on the issue, Giles, um, you really should dive into it. Um, some of it's likely to move pretty fast according to the comments made by the guys who I interviewed on the, on Great Solar Business um, because they're relatively easy to put in place. Um, other things will take a little bit longer. So there'll be a, an iterative set of changes, but by goodness, uh, they're certainly going to change some stuff. Uh, I think whack-a-mole was the way they described it. They're going to get uh, they're going to get angry. They're going to get aggressive and they're not going to tolerate um, um, what has 
it's not that people have tolerated in the past, but uh, yeah, they gave great credit to the Clean Energy Council and other organisations, but, but particularly the Clean Energy Council have done a, a plum job of managing the accreditation program for many, many years. But they admitted that they didn't have the authority. They simply didn't have the ability to take action because they're not a regulatory body. The clean energy regulator is. Uh, and so um, they're saying, well, we can, so we will. Uh, and, and, and amongst other things, you know, naming and shaming, uh, bad performing solar companies, um, or, 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 you know, repeat offenders was one of the tactics that they were planning on using. Um, so there, there was a lot in that interview that I really urge people to, uh, to listen to. Um, but I, I, I did, uh, flippantly, um, suggest to the guys in the clean energy regulator that Giles, you and I would get some t-shirts printed out, says Angus Taylor says solar industry does have integrity. That's not a bad idea, actually. I did love the quote that was pointed out from um, your boss, um, Stefan, who read a, um, a story on another um, website from probably the funniest solar writer in the country, um, and he described it <laughs> looking back in Angus uh, at the solar industry. It's, um, it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, and you can imagine all sorts of derivatives, which I think we were doing before the podcast, and we're not going to repeat them online. But um, no. Um, but t-shirts, yeah, t-shirts, look, this government loves uniforms and we've got Border Patrol now, which is all in black. Maybe we should, now that the clean energy regulator is involved, maybe they should get bright yellow uniforms and call themselves Solar Patrol. Solar Patrol, I like it. I like it. Just can't be high vis. Clearly, high vis has got a bit of a bit of a stink about it at the moment. We can't go there, but yeah. Well, if you no, wear bright yellow uniforms, I think you've got high vis enough. But anyway, <laughs> no. It, I mean, what what was really good was you know overall. Um, in in summary, you know, um, the number of unsafe or potentially unsafe when they're grouped together number of potentially unsafe or unsafe systems in 2018 had dropped to 1.7% of all the systems they audited, which is a representative sample. Um, and that's down from 5.5% a few years before that. So, you know, the, 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 the what that shows is that, you know, 98.3% of systems uh, are not potentially unsafe or unsafe. They are safe. Uh, there, there are some small issues potentially mm. in some of those, but the vast majority by far are safe. The trend is heading in the right direction. And, um, you know, um, no, no big surprises. Rooftop isolators were the single biggest culprit, uh, which is actually a standard requirement. So, you know, that's not really a reflection on uh, on solar installers or solar retailers. They did single out um, uh, poor retail behaviour um, as as a source of massive uh, complaints to the A C and uh, and and um, uh, finance deals came under a particular amount of scrutiny as well. So there were some really interesting findings. It's a long report, but it's 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 well worth a read to to look at what they did and 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 perhaps even a listen to uh, GSB. Great solar, great solar, great solar business. Of course, I just couldn't get my. I want to put podcasts after solar, but there you go. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but so, what are they? Um, okay, so they've got the solar patrol running around. What are they going to do when they find this behaviour? Because one point seven percent is still look. It's it's a small number, but it's still too big. So, what are they going to uh, do when they find such abhorrent behaviour and uh, shoddy work? Quite right. Well, there are 13 recommendations. I don't have time to go through them all here, but uh, certainly uh, they will have, by, by sort of centralising the, um, the overview, the oversight, if you like, of the 
uh, accreditation scheme, they will be able to coordinate different bodies. So the tax department, the ACCC, um, you know, accreditation bodies, if, if that's still sub subcontracted out, um, uh, state bodies, and they'll be able to centralise that a lot more easily than the CEC could because they didn't have that jurisdiction. So they'll be able to uh, theoretically pull information a lot faster. And because they've got uh, more authority, uh, they can they can black ban you. They can ban you from, from installing or they can ban you from retailing. Uh, they can name and shame you, which would be very, very embarrassing. And, uh, of course, your competitors will uh, take great delight in uh, highlighting if you have been named and shamed by the regulator. Um, so the, that I think the main thrust of what they wanted to do was was really, you know, come down a bit tougher and move faster and, you know, really hold the solar industry to account on these issues. They hide, they did highlight that, as, as is always the case, small number of people or entities causing a large number of problems. Uh, they uh, talked uh, quite a bit about a small number of accredited designers, for example, who in fact weren't even in Australia when they were theoretically signing off on jobs, which requires them to be on site. Uh, which is going to be a problem. And that would be the kind of thing that would get you very quickly um, whack-a-mold by the CER. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I don't think there is anyone out there who isn't seeing good things coming out of this. I think it looks really positive. Well, that's good because we weren't too sure when the thing was first announced. Um, and it, was, it seemed to be done in an almighty rush and seemed to be done with something specific in mind. But um, I'm really, really pleased that's actually come out with a really useful outcome um, and very positive for the industry over long term. Yeah. No great surprises in there. A lot of it was were things uh, to the credit of the industry that they'd actually been saying themselves for a long time. Um, so, um, yeah, but let's, mm -hmm. you know, onwards and upwards. Inverter inventories. Say, try to say that very quickly. Um, what can you tell us about that? Because we've got new inverter standards coming in in December, and some people don't want to be caught out with the um, the odd stock. Yeah, it's true. And and this was a warning from uh, or a reminder from um, the CC, in fact, that uh, AAS and NZS four triple seven dash two dash twenty twenty takes effect on the eighteenth of December twenty twenty one. So it's really important to make sure that the technology that you are um, warehousing or intending to install after that date is compliant. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it brings into line um, the inverter standards that mean that we're sort of driving more of the smart tech in that we've been talking about, the ability to, um, you know, centrally control inverters, all those types of things. And, and so it's a, you know, it's a, a step towards the kind of progression that we're seeing or the technology that we're being seen used in South Australia and potentially WA soon. Um, that comes in on uh, 18th of December. And so it's really important that you don't get stuck with old stock that is not compliant. So for installers out there or retailers who are buying stock or even wholesalers, I'm sure the wholesalers are aware of this, but of course, you're going to need to be talking to your manufacturers to ensure that any stock you have is 100% compliant after that date, or else you'll be stuck with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and those that new inverter standard, that's the same inverters then that's already been applied in South Australia for the last year, which basically allows these different mechanisms and these communications ability that allows agents like your good self to come in and do clever things with them. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's varying different degrees. And again, the standard is quite explicit in what they are. So I'll refer people to the standard. But ride-through voltage capability, for example, is one that is uh, that was uh, highlighted right at the top of it so that it will allow inverters to ride through. Um, and But but do go take a look at the standard and talk to your suppliers, talk to your manufacturers, mm. talk to your favourite inverter manufacturer. Mm. Ask, mm. ask them what they're doing to ensure they're compliant. They're, they're not all listed yet. There are a few listed I did see in a, in a story. Uh, there are certainly some that are listed, but uh, there are certainly a, a lot that are not. Seems to be there's a fair bit needs to be done between now and then. Yeah, and look, I mean, um, the good manufacturers are always across this, and I'm sure um, it's only um, you know paper shuffling and approvals and various other things to to get relisted and ensure that they're compliant with these new standards. So I'm sure the majority of uh, of good brands uh, are out there. You've got to be careful with older stock, obviously, and you've got to be very very careful with lesser known brands who are perhaps not familiar with um, the way Australian Australian standards work and these changes in standards over time. So. So, you know, um, do your homework. Cool. What else have we got in the agenda, Nigel? Uh, well, not not heaps. Um, I'm I'm not going to bang on about uh, Livewire, but I did have a really interesting experience uh, recently because I saw a Facebook post uh, with everyone jumping up and down in my local community saying, oh, look at this massive, massive, ugly uh, big box that's been plonked in Monavale just for the purposes of exclusive electric vehicle owners. And I went, oh, hang on, that's me. Um, I'm, I'm an elitist electric vehicle owner now. I could use some fast charging. What are they banging on about? And what they were banging on about is this very cool uh, new um, technique uh, that a, a company is using where instead of building a fast charger, you know, on a, on a, on a greenfield site, if you like, what they do is they basically drop a skin over a pad-mounted transformer, those big green transformers that we're all very familiar with that kind of hide in the corner on streets and, you know, provide high-voltage power or take high-voltage power and distribute it around to local businesses. And lo and behold, what these guys at uh, Jolt have done is formed a, made a skin that just kind of, they just crane it over the top of the transformer and then they can just hook in their EV charging gear to this high power transformer that's sitting right there and deliver a fast charger or EV charging experience at a very convenient location. They've got a bunch of them in South Australia, it turns out, and uh, one just up the road from me, which I'm very excited about. They opened another one today in Strathfield. And uh, so it turns out they're not great big massive ugly boxes what they are is there were existing great big boxes and they're putting quite a fresh freshly painted nice skin over the top with a nice color tv on them that shows stuff and some ev charging capabilities so it's actually an uplift of an existing asset that's sitting there uh and and a really cool way to roll out ev charging so um good on the guys at jolt i say Absolutely, yes. And it's free for about five or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something like that, or a certain amount of kilowatt hours or something like that. Probably quite enough enough for an electric bike anyway. I'll tell you what it is. It's free for a half a tank for me. Uh, I I can basically fill half my battery uh, for free, um, about seven kilowatt hours. I've got a 15 and a half kilowatt hour battery. So it's almost a half a tank, um, uh, which which is wonderful. And then, you know, not an unreasonable rate for the remaining time. Very good. Very good. And you're still enjoying it? No, no, no. no. Oh, take it back. Send it back. Send it back. Terrible buyer's remorse. Oops, I've got the best. <laughs> I've got the best electric motorcycle in the world. Oh damn! Oh dear. Well, my 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 Model Three has just turned two, and oh, wow. um, 
it's clocked up 66,000 kilometres. And I wrote a little story about it the other day, just pointing out that it's done 66,000 Ks in two years and we haven't paid a single cent um, charging the battery um, so far because we've been very, very lucky. One, we've either used the solar on the roof, um, more so recently with the lockdown, but um, we've been very lucky to have some free charging stations um, around this area and also some referral points for on the Tesla superchargers for when I do long distances. And mm. um, it's, um, it doesn't, but that all might come to an end because now the council's just advised that um, from the day after tomorrow, I think they're going to start charging for their what has been a free charger next to the library and um, NRMA has been putting in charging stations around the state. And I suspect that one day it's going to start charging and um, Tesla's now stopped the referral thing. So mm-hmm. no more free kilometers for me, but um, I've got a bit of, I, I, I've got a few in the kitty. So um, I might be able to get down to Sydney and back a couple of times before they completely run out. But um Yes, but still. Um... Well, like like me, I mean, I did the calculation in an article I wrote for you where I went, geez, you know, an average tank of fuel for an average motorbike is going to cost you about 25 bucks. Um, and, you know, even if I'm paying 40 cents a kilowatt, or, uh, kilowatt hour to fill my bike up, my, my live wire up, I'm only paying about four or five bucks. Mm. It's, it's uh, still incredibly cost effective. And, you know, if you've done... 66,000 kilometres, my goodness. I'm sure you've done the numbers, but that's a fairly big saving, Giles. Certainly is. Certainly is. Mate, um, I think we better wrap this up. I think we should. I think we should. I'd like to thank you. I'd like to thank everybody out there listening to this podcast and particularly I'd like to thank our sponsors who are reminding you, uh, Sunweer Solar Analytics and Clenergy. And um, what you got on the menu for next week's Great Solar Business? Um, well, next week I've got the interview with the clean energy regulator that I touched on earlier on. Um, so that is an absolute cracker. It was, we went into nearly 40 minutes because there was so much to talk about, but that's a real good one. And a reminder that I also uh, did a terrific recording on differentiating your solar business, uh, which uh, got published last week uh, with Con Flaherty, which was a great little interview, great thought-provoking stuff on how to differentiate your business. And I'd also like to point out the Driven podcast that we had the other day with uh, Matt Keane, the New South Wales Energy Minister and Tesla owner. And I'm um, also just pointing out that um, by the time this podcast gets um, published, I'm not breaking an embargo now, but New South Wales have just announced a 50% um, emissions reduction target for 2030, um, which is pretty damn good, really, is what the whole country should be doing. Um, and um, this, of course, just to remind you, is a coalition government and just shows that Liberals and Nationals can work together to agree on a really rapid change in emissions. And there's absolutely no excuse for those. Um, I'm just trying to think of a polite word, Nigel, but I can't think of one. Um, those people in the federal sphere. Who are, no room for Grace <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> well, it's not even him anymore. It's the Matt Canavans, the Barnaby Joyces and the... And the Keith Pitts and God, oh dear. Well, they're all slowly going away. I hope so, Nigel. On that um, cheerful and slightly doubtful note, um, once again, thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to everybody out there. Thanks to you, Nigel. We'll be back again in a fortnight. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. 
Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.